In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Uh, we will study tonight chapter 24 from the Gospel of St. Matthew. And since it is a long chapter, so we will study half of it from verse 1 to verse 28. This chapter is one of the most important chapters in the Holy Scriptures because the Lord in this chapter is telling us about the destruction of Jerusalem and also about the end of the world. The Lord, as you know, uh, was crucified in the year 33. Uh, in, uh, Yes, in the year 33. And Jerusalem was destroyed in the year 70. So what the Lord mentioned here was fulfilled after almost 40 years or 37 years. And many people who heard the Lord Jesus Christ speaking about what would happen in Jerusalem, they left and saw the fulfillment of the prophecies that were foretold by the Lord Jesus Christ. And also because the Lord spoke about the end of the world, so he addressed the, the, the importance of being prepared and also productive. If you want to uh, classify this chapter into uh, sections, the first section will be the first two verses about the destruction of the temple. Then from verse 3 to verse 14, the Lord spoke about the false Messiah, about wars, famines, and earthquakes, about persecution of the elect, false prophets, and the growth of sin, about the gospel of the kingdom proclaimed throughout the whole world. Then from verse uh, 15 to 28, the Lord spoke about the great tribulation of Jerusalem and the desecration, it's uh, contradicting the consecration, uh, how the, the temple was defiled, the desecration of the temple and false prophets and false messiah. From verse 29, uh, the Lord spoke about his second coming, and he mentioned signs of his second coming, the parable of the fig tree, and also the parable of the two stewards. Let's start from verse 1. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him, to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Uh, actually, these words apparently are the last words that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke 
while he left the temple and he never returned back to the temple again. While he was leaving the temple, his disciples were pointing out its splendor, especially the amazing stones used in its construction. And uh, the Lord here told them, one stone will not be upon another. And actually, I heard something very interesting about this verse, not one stone shall be left here upon another. When Titus, the Roman commander, entered the temple and he burned the temple. As you know, the temple had many, many gold in every place. So the gold melted because of the fire. And after they put off the fire, the gold started to precipitate. And precipitated on what? On the stones. So the people and the robbers who wanted to steal the gold did what? They actually they start to destroy the stones in order to take the gold uh, of them. So this uh, prophecy, when the Lord said, not one stone shall be left here upon another, was fulfilled literally. Was fulfilled literally. Uh, in, in John chapter 2, when the Lord spoke about his the destruction of the temple, also the Lord referred to the destruction of the temple of his body. So the Lord was making connection between the destruction of the temple and the destruction of his own body uh, in his passion. Uh, and as the destruction, uh, as his death, will become a sign for the future destruction of Jerusalem temple. Uh, so by, by dying on the cross and by having the temple and Jerusalem destroyed, this actually is also a sign of the beginning and inauguration of a new and final age of mankind which actually the era in which we are living right now. So the death of the cross and the destruction of Jerusalem ended an era before uh, Christ and began a new era, which actually is the final age of mankind. Uh, you can read about the Lord prophecy about the destruction of the temple of his own body, as I told you in uh, John chapter 2, verse 19. And this prophecy was used against him during his trial. And also on the cross, the Jews mocked him with this prophecy as he was suffering on the cross. As I told you, the prophecy of the Lord about the destruction of the temple was literally fulfilled in the year 70 AD. Uh, 
uh, and the temple from 70 AD entirely disappeared from the face of the earth. In the Gospel of tonight, in Vesper, the Lord said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophet, you know, how many times I tried to gather your children as a hen gathers her bruise under her wings, but you refused. And he told them, so your house will be left for you desolate. Your house here, he's speaking about the temple. And yes, from that moment, many trials to build the temple, but failed. All these trials failed. So the temple was entirely disappeared from the face of the earth because the Lord told them, your house will be left desolate. And now a mosque stands on the spot where the temple stood. Uh, actually, I want just to clarify a very important point. In predicting the destruction of the temple, the Lord just was mentioning what will happen. But the Lord was not expressing hostility to the temple. Because the Lord Jesus Christ has the most profound love and respect for the house of his father. This temple has actually many connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. At this temple, his mother, St. Mary, with Joseph the carpenter, came when the Lord Jesus was 40 days old and presented him to the temple and offered sacrifice according to the law. In this temple also, when Jesus was 12, he stayed in the temple for, th for three days discussing theology and with the priest and the, the scribes. In this temple, he attended all the annual feasts at their appointed times, according to the law of Moses. For this temple, he paid the temple tax to support the upkeep of the temple. And also, he cared about the abuses of the temple and cleansed the temple, called the temple my father's house. And he cleanses the temple twice. One in the beginning of his ministry, we read it in John chapter 2, and one at the end of his ministry. So when the Lord actually uh, spoke about the destruction of the temple, he was not speaking out of hostility. Absolutely not. Verse 3. Now, as he said, on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Mount Olives was on the east side of the city of Jerusalem. Against the temple. So, if you sit on the Mount Olive, you will be able to have a full view of the temple. 
especially the walls on the east side were lower than the rest and the mount of olive on the east side and the walls were uh, were lower so if you sit on the mount olive you can see the temple clearly so the lord took the disciples and sat at the mount olives looking at the temple in front of them and they asked him three questions because he told them about the destruction of the temple the first question when should those things take place second question what should be the signs of his second coming and third question what should be the signs that uh, the end of the world was near actually there is a big possibility that the apostles did not realize and did not understand that they were asking about two distinct events. Because in their mind and thinking about a temporal kingdom, earthly kingdom, they thought that Christ's second coming, second coming on earth, not from heaven, uh, would took place soon. And that Jerusalem, after it's destroyed, the Messiah would begin his reign on earth. So the understanding of the apostle at that time, that when the temple is destroyed, Christ will come, the Messiah, and the world will end. Then actually his kingdom on earth will be established. That's why I said they did not realize that they are speaking about two events, not one event, because they related the end of the world with the destruction of Jerusalem and with the second uh, coming of Christ. But now we understand these two events are separate from each other. Destruction of Jerusalem happened in the year 70 AD. But the second coming of Christ and the end of the world, this will happen at the end of the ages. The Lord here warned them, and he told them, Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. No one deceives you. Many people tried to... uh, predict a day for the second coming of Christ and the end of the world. And I'm sure during just the last 30, 40 years, we heard many people sit many days and they said Christ would come in this day and it never happened. So the world is full of deceiver and it is only by taking heed to the counsel of Christ that even his followers can escape being deceived by them. (coughs) Satan is trying to deceive us. His name is a deceiver. And Satan used many people to deceive us. That's why the Lord said, "When when it comes to my second coming and what will happen and what are the signs, be careful lest you be deceived by many people. So we as believers, 
constantly we should be on our guard because many would arise to deceive us. Then actually the Lord in verse 5 said, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. So these false teachers will not come by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. They will not claim that they are his followers, but rather they will claim that they are Christ. And they will say about themselves, I am the Messiah, I am Christ. Uh, then verse 6, he said, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. The end is not yet. From this verse to verse 31, our Lord here starts to mention the signs which should precede uh, his coming. And the Lord told us, don't be surprised. There is no reason for you to be surprised. If many came and said, I am Christ, that's what the Antichrist would say. The Antichrist, when he comes, he would declare that he is the Christ. And this actually is the first sign. The first sign that many will be deceived. It is the seduction of many souls from the true faith by heresies. And this sign is common to both events, to the destruction of Jerusalem and to the end of the world. St. John, who lived after the destruction of Jerusalem, actually, he did not mention anything about the destruction of Jerusalem. But the three other disciples, uh, St. Matthew, St. Mark, and St. Luke, who actually died before the destruction of Jerusalem, they mentioned about the, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ about the destruction of Jerusalem. So the first sign, how many people will be deceived. Second sign is the wars that preceded the destruction of Jerusalem and also the wars that will precede the end of the world. Uh, the word that will be uh, started by the Antichrist. So, before the destruction of Jerusalem, there were many wars. There were many wars. And also before the end of the world, there will be many wars. But the Lord said, the wars is not the end. It is just the, the beginning. And he said, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be famines, pestilence and earthquake in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. So the first sign is the seduction of many. Many will be deceived. Second sign, wars and rumors of wars. Third sign 
famines, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. Uh, and also, because of the famines and pestilence, uh, people will be weak. People, uh, their health will be weak. And usually, the person before he dies, uh, yeah, most of us, we become weak. So in the same way, the earth, before it ends, the end of the world, and the earth disappear, or will be destroyed completely, then actually the earth will be weak. And the sign of the weaknesses of the earth will be the earthquakes. So this will be the sign of the weakness of the earth. So I can say, as the body of man generally grow weak previously to his death, so with the earth it's the same. Before the destruction of the earth, so uh, the, the globe will be shaken with unusual convulsion, like earthquake and volcanoes. Uh, and the Lord said, the wars will not be only in the midst of their country, but wars will be in other nations. The wars will not be only Jerusalem. That's why the Lord said, nation will arise against nation. So, either in Jerusalem, or between Jerusalem, Israel, and other nations. So the wars will be all over the world. Actually, there was a famine happened before the destruction of Jerusalem. And we read about this famine in uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 28. And we read in, in Acts chapter 11, Agapus prophesied about this famine which was felt severely, uh, not only in, in uh, Palestine and Jerusalem, but also in Syria and in Rome too. Uh, but all these things that the Lord mentioned are only the beginning of more dreadful sorrows and pain and suffering and nothing in comparison of that which should afterward take place. So, uh, the word beginning of the sorrow uh, means actually literally, it's like the beginning of the labor pain. So this is just the beginning, but still some pain will come after. So, the troubles through which the world passes are thought of as if in, in, in incurring new birth, labor pain. That's why the Lord said, he called this in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, regeneration. Regeneration. Because the, the earth will pass away, will be destroyed, and a new earth and a new heaven as we read in the book of Revelation. So as if there is a birth for the new earth and the new heaven. 
And as the birth of a child comes with pain and sorrow to the mother, so also the birth of the new earth and the new heaven, uh, what the Lord called regeneration, will come with sorrows. Will, will, will come with sorrows. Uh, but here actually Isaiah prophesied about this time and he said the children are come to the birth but there is no strength to bring forth the children so as if the time of labor is, is coming but there was no strength the mother has no strength to deliver the baby the children are come to the birth and there is not a strength to bring forth. This is actually in Isaiah chapter 37 and verse 3. Verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Verse 9. The Lord now proceeds to explain to his disciples what should happen to them in this time. And quite contrary to their expectations, the Lord did not promise them luxury or an easy life or life without suffering. Rather, he told them, you will be delivered to the synagogues. You will, they will kill you. Actually, you will face many suffering and tribulations. The disciples were looking for earthly kingdom. They were looking for worldly glory. But the Lord told them many afflictions and persecutions and death is waiting for you. Do you remember the mother of John and, and James when she went to the Lord Jesus Christ and said to him, I want my sons, one to be on your right hand and the other on your left hand in your kingdom. The Lord said to them, can you drink the cup that I will drink? Here you can see they were thinking about glory, but the Lord told them about the suffering. But yes, if we suffer with him, we will be glorified with him. The disciples were tortured and persecuted by both the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, around that time, when these various signs should appear, like famous pestilence, earthquakes, um, uh, many will be deceived, rum uh, rumors of wars and wars. When all these signs start to appear, actually, these signs will not appear only in Judea, but it will appear also in other places in the world. So, once these signs appear, the Lord told the disciples, be careful. Once these signs appear, they will deliver you to courts to be scourged and imprisoned. This happened with Peter and John. They were actually taken to the Sanhedrin, where actually they were scourged. St. Paul 
was actually uh, persecuted by the Jews and by the Gentiles. He stood in front of Roman governors like Gallio, like Festus, like Flex. Uh, all the apostles, the 11 one, except John, suffered martyrdom. And that was before the destruction of Jerusalem, as the Lord told them, and they will kill you. The suffering, bloodshed, and complete devastation, which took place at the destruction of the city and the temple of Jerusalem, are a figure of still more dreadful sufferings and bloodshed and catastrophes to be expected at the end of the world. So what happened during the destruction of Jerusalem, like it's a small view of what will happen before the end of the world. And because of this, what will happen? Verse 10, then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Because of all these sufferings, many shall stumble and fall, rather than suffer for Christ. Many who professed to love Christ will then show that they had no real attachment to Christ because they will deny him. Because of the suffering, they will deny Christ. In those trying times, it will be seen that they knew nothing of the genuine Christian love which actually endures forever, endures suffering. Not only that, but they also will betray others who really love Christ. So these people who deny Christ, not only deny Christ, but will try to betray others to deny Christ. Actually, St. Luke, he told us in Luke chapter 21, verse 16, this betrayal could happen by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. Not by enemies, but even by very close people to us. They would break over the most tender ties to surrender Christians to punishment. Uh, and, and we saw how parents betrayed and killed their children uh, because of their faith in Christ. And when you study like the epistles of St. Paul or the epistles of the, um, the Catholic epistles, uh, many, many events was repeated uh, about how the Christian suffered persecution, how Christians suffered persecution. For example, St. John, in his first letter, he spoke about false prophets and many antichrists. And St. Peter spoke about false teachers. By reason of these trials and persecution from without, from outside, and those apostasies and false prophets from within, the love of many to Christ and to his doctrine and to one another shall grow cold. As we read in verse 11, there, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. 
So we can see the image here. From outside, there is persecution. And from inside, uh, heretics, false prophets. So what do you expect if a church is actually facing from outside persecution and from inside uh, the church exposed to heretics? So the love of many would grow cold to Christ. Uh, and many actually will deny their faith in Christ. As we read in, in, in this chapter, verse 10, uh, many will be offended. So because of this offense, they will deny Christ. In verse 11, many will corrupt, it, the, uh, corrupt the, the faith, uh, the false prophets and the heretics. Verse uh, 12, many will be indifferent for their faith. So either they will deny their faith, or they will corrupt the faith, or they become indifferent to the faith. Their love for Christ will grow cold. Uh, even at this early period, there has to be uh, some persecution in Christian churches. As you read in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, to verse 4, and in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. But the Lord actually gave us a word of hope here in verse 13, when he said, But he who endures to the end shall be saved. So what you need is to endure, to be patient, to persevere. And God actually will support you will strengthen you. So in the midst of this trying and afflicting scene, he who shall persevere and preserve his patience to the end against heresies, against persecution, against betrayal, against hatred, against scandals, he will be saved. Just endure. And, and this promise will be saved is given only for those who persevere, those who endure. That's why we need to endure to the end. It's a promise. If you persevere to the end, if you endure to the end, you will be saved. You will be glorified with Christ. Uh, part of this prediction was beyond all doubt accomplished with regard to the faithful in the first persecution raised by the Jews against the uh, Christian, early Christian church. So some of these prophecies were fulfilled in the first years, like St. Stephen, after uh, the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the entire and literal completion of this will be reserved to the end of the days, the end of the world. It is very remarkable that not a single Christian perished in the destruction of Jerusalem, though there were many there when the city of Jerusalem was destroyed. 
none, not a single one Christian was died, died or was destroyed in the destruction of Jerusalem. That's why the Lord said here in verse 14, Sorry, in verse 22, unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. If actually the Roman army continued in their siege to Jerusalem, nobody actually would be saved. But when unexpectedly and unaccountably they removed the siege from Jerusalem, the Christian took that opportunity to escape. So even here on earth, when they persevered to the end, they were able to uh, be saved. They were able to be saved. And the Lord told them that the gospel will be preached in the whole world, as we read in verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom, gospel of salvation, will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. If we understand this verse about the, the end here, not the end of the world, but the end of the city of Jerusalem, actually the gospel had been preached throughout the major part of the then, then known world. All the old world before the destruction of Jerusalem heard about Christ. St. Paul declares that the, the gospel was preached to every creature under heaven, as we read in Colossians chapter 1, verses 6 and 23. Uh, also in his letter to the Romans, chapter 1, verse 18, he said to them, Your faith was spoken of throughout the whole world, which actually proves the word of the Lord Jesus Christ that the gospel of the kingdom reached the whole world back then. St. Paul himself, he preached in Arabia, as we read in Galatians chapter 1, verse 17, in Jerusalem and round about unto uh, Romans, uh, unto uh, Lyricum as we read in Romans chapter 15, verse 19. Also, St. Paul traveled through Asia Minor, Greece, and Crete. Uh, he was in Italy, also in Spain, as we read in Romans chapter 15, from 24 to 28. Not only St. Paul, but other disciples and apostles were also active traveling the whole world. So, I can say there is full proof that within 30 years after the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, churches were established in all these regions, almost all over the whole world. Uh, but if this verse speaks also about the end of the world, not the destruction of Jerusalem, then actually there is the greatest probability that the true faith will have been announced to every part of the globe before the coming of Christ. Uh, 
with the invention of mass media, internet, we can truly say that today the gospel of salvation has been preached to the end of the earth. So literally, the gospel reaches the end of the earth. Verse 15, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. What is abomination of desolation? Abomination means something unholy, undefiled, uh, sorry, defiled. That's the word abomination. So when you see something unholy or defiled inside the temple, then you can predict its desolation. That's why it's called abomination of desolation. Abomination means something unholy. So if something unholy is stood inside the temple, you can predict its destruction. And you can look at it from a spiritual point of view. When something unholy, you keep it inside your heart, which is the temple of God, then this actually a prediction of its desolation unless you repent. He said spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Yes, in the book of Daniel, you can read about the abomination of desolation in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, Daniel chapter 11, verse 31, Daniel chapter 12, verse 11. So the abomination of desolation refers to the defilement of the sanctuary by the mad attempt of Antiochus Epiphanius to stop the daily sacrifice and to substitute the daily sacrifice with idolatrous worship in its place. As we read in 2 Maccabees chapter 6 from verse 1 to verse 9. So, the abomination of desolation refers to the attempt of stopping the daily sacrifice and offer idol, uh, idolatrous, uh, idolatrous sacrifice on the altar instead of the sacrifice of God. Also, in Luke chapter 21, verse 20, St. Luke spoke about the abomination of desolation when you shall see Jerusalem surrounded by army. Because this would mean it will be destroyed. So the word of St. Luke is not literally about the abomination of desolation, but seem rather to give us a sign of the destruction of Jerusalem rather than the end of the world. Uh, verse 16 the Lord said then when you see you know the abomination of desolation and when you see the army surrounded Jerusalem what would you do he said then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains 
Let him who is on the house top not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babes in those days. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. As I told you, uh, they raised the siege from Jerusalem unexpectedly, and Vespasian was approaching with his army. So all those who believed in Christ started to leave Jerusalem and fled to Pella and other places beyond the river Jordan. As the Lord them, those in Judea, let them escape to the mountains. Uh, all of them, all Christians, all the believers, escaped the general destruction of Jerusalem. No one of them perished. As the Lord said to them, those who persevere to the end will be saved. So those who persevere the siege by Sestius Gallus, actually they, all of them were saved. Uh, it is well known that this prophecy was verified to the letter in the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, when the people read Daniel about the abomination of desolation, I don't think they recognized it or they understood the, the, the prophecy until it was fulfilled in the event that happened before their own eyes. And as the Roman army led by Vespasian advanced, all the Christians who were in the province warned by the divine counsel and the prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ, they left. They crossed the Jordan and they took refuge in the city of Pella. The mountains of Palestine have many caves where they can be places of shelters. That's why the Lord told them, flee from the city into the mountains. Then what about he said those on the top of the house not go down to take anything out of his house. Actually, the houses in the street of Jerusalem were built in a continuous line. So this house next to that, next to that, like continuous line. And the roof were flat. So that a man can pass from house to house without descending to the street until he came to some point near the wall or the gate of the city and make his escape. So the Lord told them, if you are on the top of house, you should not actually go down, but you should continue running over the tops of the house until you jump over the wall or you, you leave through the gate of the city. He who should be on the house top when this tribulation come upon the city, should flee without delay. He should not even take time to secure any article of apparel 
from his house. He should not go even to take some clothes from the house. Because the disaster will be so sudden, so attempting to do this actually would endanger his life. And those who are in the field, usually people working in the field, they work with short tunic, and they leave the flowing outer garment at home in the city. And because the flight was to be rapid and immediate, that's why the Lord told them, don't go even to get uh, your clothes. Once the army of the Romans sits down before the city, there shall be no more any possibility of escape as they shall never remove till Jerusalem will be destroyed. The army will remain until the city will be destroyed. When the Lord said, Woe, in verse 19, Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies, babies in those days. Woe here is tone of pity rather than tone of condemnation. When the Lord said, Woe to the scribes and Pharisees, it's condemnation. But here, woe, it's a tone of pity, compassion on them. Because the hardships of a hurried flight would press most heavily on those who were burdened with infant children or expecting childbirth. Can you imagine if a mother is nursing her child or she is pregnant and she has to run and to escape swiftly from the city? So the word woe here, the Lord showed compassion on them. Uh, and when the Lord said, pray that the destruction, your flight may not be in winter on the Sabbath. So the Lord said, the destruction is certainly coming. So you need actually to pray that it might be as mild as possible. The winter is inconvenient season for flying away. That's why he told them, pray that your flight, the destruction will not happen in, in winter. And Sabbath, because it was lawful to travel only one mile on Sabbath according to the uh, law. Long journeys were prohibited by the law on the Sabbath, as we read in Exodus chapter 16 and verse 29. So it was impractical to travel in Judea on that day, as the gates of the city also would be closed. That's why he told them, pray that your flight will not be in winter or on Sabbath. Then, Verse 21, the Lord said, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. The Lord used here the term of the great tribulation. 
So the Lord used great tribulation as a reason for their speedy flight because there will be a great tribulation. And the Lord said, this suffering that would come, actually, you will never see like it before or after. It will be through the sword, famine, diseases, murders, robberies, many things. That's why he called it the Great Tribulation. It would be such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Can you imagine if this great tribulation continued, what will happen? The whole, actually, human race will be vanished. Uh, and next Sunday, Palm Sunday, when you attend the church, and you read the you hear the gospel of St. Luke, when the Lord saw Jerusalem, enter Jerusalem on Hosanna Sunday, what did he do? He cried. He wept because he foresee what will happen to Jerusalem. Everybody was happy. Everybody was saying, Hosanna in the highest, this is the king of Israel. But Jesus was crying over the city. It was dear to him. It is a city of the temple of God. He cried over the city because the city did not recognize the time of its visitation. Josephus, the Jewish historian, counts the number of those who perished in the siege over, uh, over Jerusalem as 1,100,000. 1,100,000. And this number back then is a very, very big number, and until now it's a very big number. Uh, besides those who were slain in other places outside Jerusalem. So if the Romans had gone on destroying in this manner, the whole nation of Jews would be in a short time entirely destroyed. Uh, and no one from the Jews would have escaped death had the war continued. That's why the Lord said, if God did not shorten these days, no one would be saved. And from this place, Jesus Christ foretells the coming of the Antichrist and warns Christians of the latter ages to guard all they can against temptation. But the Lord said here, because of the elect, he will shorten these days. Who are the elect? The elect means the chosen. Who are the chosen? Those who accepted Christ. So God chose us because we accepted him. Who are the elect? Because God accepted us. So Jesus implied promise about to save the elect, that those days of tribulation will be shortened so that the faithful elect will be saved. When I said the elect are us, the Christian, you can read how the apostles called the Christian the elect, 
like in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, Romans 1, verse 7, Ephesians 1, verse 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. But what does it mean, the word shortened? Does it mean God changed his mind? What he determined was changed? Actually, shortened here means Jerusalem did not receive punishment as Jerusalem deserved. So Jerusalem deserved punishment like this, but God decided to shorten this punishment, the days of punishment, for the sake of the elect. So the meaning here is that the siege of Jerusalem and the sufferings attending it should be sooner ended, not than God had determined, not uh, different for what God determined, but then the sin of the Jews deserved. So it is sooner than what they deserve. And the justice of God might have required in strict severity. So if God actually required full justice, these days would not be shortened. But God actually shortened these days and had mercy because of the elect. Uh, So if God actually punished them according to what they deserve, actually the whole nation would be utterly destroyed. Verse 23. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. During this period of tribulation, the Lord is telling us, give no heed to false prophets, false Christ, or to those who say Christ is here or there. Don't listen to them. Don't pay attention to this. See, I have told you beforehand, as the Lord said. Our Lord had cautioned his disciples against false Christ and false prophets several times. But here the Lord is emphasizing that there would be a special need to attend to this caution about the time of the siege. During the time of the destruction of Jerusalem, actually, history tells us that many people claimed to be prophets or even Christ. Why? Because the Jews expected the Messiah to deliver them from the Roman oppression. So in the time of this great tribulation and great calamity, uh, they would be anxiously looking for Christ. So if anybody would say, I am Christ, or Christ is here or there, many people will be deceived and many people will believe him and will follow him. Uh, so, the Lord told them, I am the Messiah, so don't be deceived 
by others. Even if others started to work miracles and to do wonders, don't be deceived. Many of us, when we see miracles, we believe in the person who is performing the miracle instantly. And this is very dangerous. Because miracles are not a sign of being holy or being a prophet or a saint. John the Baptist, as we read in the Gospel of St. John, did not perform any miracle. And the magicians, during the time of Pharaoh, they performed a miracle like Moses. So be wise and be careful when you listen to a miracle or when somebody tells you about a miracle. The Lord said here about this false Christ and false prophet, they will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Yes, because Satan can make miracles. Satan can transform himself like an angel of light. Satan will put all his power in this false prophet and false Christ to deceive the people. So, even if you see miracles resemble the true miracles, actually, be careful. Be careful. Think about the, the, the doctrine, your most holy faith. Uh, so the, told, the Lord told them so they may be on their guard and be prepared for those adversities. Verse 26. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. For as, now the Lord speaking about his coming. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. And this actually will be the last chapter for tonight, the last verse for tonight. Our Lord not only foretold the appearance of these false prophets and false Christ, but also the manner and circumstances of their conduct. There would be whispered rumors that Christ was hiding himself in the wilderness beyond Jordan or the inner rooms of some believer's house. So some, some will, will spread a rumor, Christ is hiding here or there. Many of those deceivers persuaded the people to follow them to the desert, promising them to show signs and wonders done by the providence of God. Believers in Christ, when they hear such things, they should not pay any attention. They should not see, uh, show any concern because they know how 
the second coming of Christ would be. The Lord said, the second coming of Christ, like the lightning, when came from the east and flashes to the west. Lightning in the sky is a sign usually of a coming storm. When there is lightning, then there is a storm. So the coming, the sign of the coming judgment will be as clear an event as the lightning that announces a storm and as fast as is the lightning. So here, the, the analogy of the lightning, the Lord is saying, the sign of the coming judgment, he is coming to judge the world, will be as clear as the lightning is clear, and as fast as the lightning is fast. In the beginning of this chapter, the disciples actually connected the destruction of Jerusalem with the coming of the Lord. In whatever way he comes, whether in the final destruction of the temple or at the end of the world and his second coming, the advent would be sudden and unlooked for as the lightning flashes. So the Lord is telling them, my coming will be sudden and unexpected like the flashing of the lightning. Then the Lord said, where the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. This was actually a proverb or a common saying among the Jews. So the Lord here is referring to a proverb that was used by the Jews. There is two interpretations of this verse. The first one, some interpreted the eagles as the well-known symbols of the strength of the Roman legions, and the carcass as the decayed and corrupted Judaism, which those legions came to destroy. So as if here, the carcass is the corrupted Judaism now how people actually defiled their faith. And the eagles will be the Roman Empire, who are strong. So eagles easily ascertain where dead bodies are and hasten to devour them. So Jerusalem is like a dead body, and it is ready to be devoured. And the Roman armies will find out as the eagles do a dead carcass and will come around it to devour. So carcass here is Jerusalem, which became corrupted, and the eagles are the Roman Empire, and because of the corruption, this dead body, the Roman uh, army, will come like eagles to eat and destroy this carcass. The second interpretation, which is supported by early church fathers. The early church fathers says the carcass is Christ himself, not Jerusalem, it's Christ himself, as crucified and slain. 
and the eagles are us, his true saints, believers, who hasten to meet him in his coming on the cloud. So when he comes, that's the carcass. And the eagles will be taken up, you know, to meet him on the cloud. So eagle in this passage may refer to the sacrifice also of the liturgy. Where here the Holy Trinity, all the saints and us, we gather together. And this is actually the biblical and correct meaning of rapture. Unfortunately, uh, some other denomination, they uh, explain the rapture before the great tribulation. They say God will take, rapture means those will be caught up with God. Was Christ. So they are saying the elect God will take them before the great tribulation in order not to survive the great tribulation. And they produced series of movies and books called Left Behind. So those after they are taken up, caught up this rapture, and then actually those who are left behind they will face the great tribulation but the rapture in the biblical understanding will happen after the great tribulation not before if it happens before the great tribulation then there is no need that the Lord would say for the elect's sake he will shorten these days the rapture as we read it in 1 Thessalonians Chapter 4. In the second coming of Christ, he will come on the cloud. Then all the saints will be caught up to meet the Lord on the clouds. And the wicked and the ungodly will be left behind. So the rapture will happen at the end of the world with the second coming of Christ, not before the great tribulation. So when St. Luke uh, uh, and St. Matthew spoke about one will be taken and one will be left actually this is the, the rapture when the disciple in, in according to the gospel of uh, St. Luke the Lord told them one will be taken and one will be left so the disciples asked him where Lord the Lord answered Wherever the body is, there will be eagles gathered together. So the Lord here used the, this proverb where the carcass is, the eagles will be gathered. He used it in the second coming. So the rapture actually will happen in the second uh, coming. And where the body is, or the carcass is, 
it refers to his body. So here in the, the divine liturgy, all of us were gathered together around the body of Christ, where the carcass is, the eagles will be gathered. Who are the eagles? And it's called carcass because he was slain and sacrificed. Uh, and it is interesting, according to the original text in Greek, it is not the eagle will gather so they will come by themselves, but the eagles will be gathered, will be gathered, as if God will attract his people. Nobody can come to me unless he is uh, caught or attracted by my father. Uh, so, the appearance of eagles indicates dead body. Or when there is a dead body, eagle will gather. Likewise, when we see all these signs, false prophets, false Christ, betrayer, and the love of many will grow cold, when we see the abomination of desolation, we must know that the end is near and the second coming of Christ is at door. So this actually will uh, conclude our Bible study today for Matthew chapter 24 from verse 1 to 28. Um, if you have any questions,